0: Hey friends, I appreciate you tuning into The Deal Farm podcast, where I hope you feel at least mildly entertained and possibly even inspired to take big action towards improving your life and your business. On this episode of The Deal Farm, Kevin and I talk with Bob McIntosh about his transition from being a successful house flipper to a buy and hold investor with hundreds of clients utilizing his digital marketing tools. I'll see you on the other side.
1: Ken, how you doing this week? Oh man, I couldn't be better. That's uh, very good to hear. I, I have been working on my swing set. I'm making progress. I'm, I'm actually at a pause right now, because I've got these giant beams. I got to lift up. I can't do it by myself. So I, I got to have my, I got to have Neo, my son, come over help me lift this stuff. It's too much. Beams? How? I mean, how big is this? swing set playground it's gonna be a, it's, man it's a, it's a little swing set but it's got a big old beam it's more than well i'm old too i can't lift it by myself so yeah. but it's gonna have like it's gonna have like four swings across and Dang. i just can't do it by myself i need a little help what happened to the good old-fashioned like metal
0: toys r us swing sets that you could just about loop to loop on you know if you got high
1: and remember when you would swing like one 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 leg would always pick up i think it was a rust issue they don't, they don't sell Maybe those anymore, do rust. they, they, did, they I, did i think I, I had some cuts from rust with those I feel like I've bought plenty of houses over
0: the years that have had those dilapidating in the, in the backyard, you know, covered in weeds. And, yeah, oh, they sorry. are always covered in rust. You're right. That is a always. true statement.
1: I can remember growing up. Uh, I, I chipped a tooth on a swing like that one time. I, you know, there were a lot of, you know, injuries in the 70s and 80s on old swing sets. <laughs> well, I just remember those the the swing that was always like
0: the the two seats facing each other. Oh, yeah. Oh, and, absolutely. But, you would always stand on one end and like oh. the, the height that you could achieve standing oh, pretty, was quite pretty dangerous, pretty. like borderline acrobatic sort of.
1: Yeah. Well, if you see a, a playground from the 70s, your first thought is, man, some lawyers is going to have a field day with that. I mean, just the liability yes. associated with the things that we played on. Uh, you remember those um, those domed shape? Same thing. Oh, yeah. Like this metal oh. looks like
0: a metal connector set, but they were a big dome shape. Yeah. Like thinking back of being like a four and five year old, like just dangling, like eight feet in the eight, air on the Yeah, floor,
1: way up in the feet air, feet metal down. everywhere. It's like, man, if you just tumbled down that, you, the yeah, bones that would you would break? I know. You don't see that sort of thing anymore in playground. Oh, the good. Yeah. Well, you see a playground nowadays. It's like, how boring is that? There's no fun there. Yeah. No, nobody's even going to get hurt. What's the point? Right. Yeah. If there's no danger, you know, there is a saying that uh, a kid, what, how's the saying? Go? The saying goes that a kid learns the most when they're doing something dangerous carefully, like when you see a little kid and they know it's really dangerous. And so they're doing something really dangerous very carefully that that the encoding goes on in their brain. They're learning more there than, oh, well, you know, watching SpongeBob or whatever.
0: Interesting. Well, I imagine if they get hurt, then they're really learning something. That's they what you call that it swing. That's a teachable moment, is what that is. <laughs> that's a teach that's really ingrained in the brain. That hurt. I probably shouldn't do that again.
1: I'm not ever gonna do that again. Yes. Yeah,
0: that's so funny. Well, so n- no injuries, you know, no injuries on our end either. You know, we're building this chicken coop with dad. Uh, yes. And it's it's kind of turned into the top ta- it's not just Fort Knox, now it's the Taj Mahal.
1: It's, it's like a chicken condo. I got to tell you, I saw it on, thing. you posted something on my well, mom sending me pictures, but I saw something on Instagram that you posted. I was like, that is quite the chicken coop, man.
0: Yeah. Well, for, I started with, okay, I'm going to trench this thing with concrete and rebar and nothing's going to break into this because it's it, everything in my, in my property. is like a predator that wants to kill chickens. So I was like, I'm going to make this thing <laughs> a Fort Knox chickens will not die. But then of course, when you get dad involved, he, uh, everything has got to be to the nines so it's where i was just going to do chicken wire on the outside no now we mm-hmm. got fence posts vertical you know trim i mean it's just it's completely it, pimped out now.
1: and you're not joking i mean you've got i'm sure you got fox i know you got coyotes there's snakes there's uh owls i know you got out well, oh, what wasn't yeah. it didn't Hawks, it, didn't yeah. kayla have like a hawk that was hanging out on top of the rabbit cage or something yeah we like got a that?
0: rabbit cage right now and there's a hawk that just lands uh, right outside her room on the the railing and just you just screeches at her just like because it sees the (laughs) rabbit in the cage you're just driving him bonkers i'll tell you though what killed our the last animal to kill our chickens i got it on video i set up a a camera just because i wanted to see it and i watched i watched the coyote walk by i watched a fox walk walk by and guess what got the chickens it was a raccoon. those little trash pandas have thumbs and fingers. Oh yes. Oh yeah. So oh, he yeah. just sat there for an hour and like just manipulated the fence until he opened, tried oh, yeah. it open, and then just had a heyday. Just went in. Yeah, raccoons—they
1: can pick a lock. Like they are they are yes. amazing what they can do, and they're vicious. Like they'll just kill yeah. for over chicken biscuits. They were not even. It wasn't even about eating them. It was the joy of the kill. I
0: think like for the raccoons, I can just
1: do this, and so I will kill you now. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I, I feel like the chicken coop right now is—it's uh, going to be. Trash panda proof. We'll see.
1: Well, I, I've enjoyed the updates. I've, I've been watching the updates, and that's it's been great to to watch you make progress. I got to post some pictures of the of the swing set as well.
0: Yeah, you know you got to do the socials. I'm gonna be honest. I'm gonna just let you in on a little secret, Kevin. Just you and me. I hate socials. <laughs> I do? do, man. I do. I do not. I don't like anything about social media. Have
1: you got people like uh, texting you or sending you? Yeah, I guess it would not take It would be DMing you, right? That uh, direct messaging you on socials of, "Hey, you know how you really should build a chicken coop it is." <laughs> no, because nobody cares about my social. <laughs> that's, that's not what you're getting up. <laughs> no,
0: I just it's. I know it's one of those necessary evils if you're in business that you need to do it. You need to stay on top of it. But like, I don't enjoy it. I don't like posting. Now, pictures. why
1: don't you like it? You're not. You're not getting little hits of. uh of dopamine when you when you post stuff and you see people like your your, your posts. I don't know. I just don't care enough. I, it, it, part of me I don't. Cool. Of course, this is the coming
0: from the guy that's on TV, who's you know was put himself out there for years on end. I still just don't like doing it. I don't like having to take a picture of myself, of uh, uh, you know, next to a house or next to you know the, the chicken coop. But I realize that this is the game that we play. Like if you, gotta you know do it. our production gotta company has expectations of us, our agent has expectations of the network has expectations. If, and if you're in business. You have to you have to build some level of a presence and trust and people gotta like you if they're gonna want to do business. So I get that it's just a necessary evil. Doesn't well, mean I, I like my, it.
1: Most business owners aren't on HGTV, right? And so if I'm yeah. gonna do business with someone, what's their what's the first thing you're gonna do, right? You're gonna Google them, you're gonna look them up, and you know, inevitably you're gonna look at their socials, right? You're gonna look at their website, their LinkedIn, whatever. And that's you get one shot at first impression. And these days it's online. I mean, that's it your is. first impression. If you're starting, I mean, name a business where you almost don't need social. You
0: don't you need it for, if you're starting a business today, you need a social present. If anything, just from credibility standpoint, because people are going to look you up. If, they, if they're about to do business with you and they don't know you, what are they going to do? They're going to go to your website. They're going to look up your socials. They're going to see if you're a real person.
1: And I hate to say it, but you know, it's true of me. Like if I go and I go try to look something like right now, we're we're redoing a bathroom when I'm looking up contractor. If I don't find anything, my first thought is, what are they trying to hide? Yep. Like, why why aren't Barely. they there's got to yeah. be some reason why they're not there.
0: And if you're going to interview somebody, like we're interviewing somebody for a position right now, first thing I do is I look them up on social. Who Who is Absolutely. this person I'm about
1: to bring into the organization? Absolutely. Because they're going to put their A game in, in an interview, but you look up, you know, their Facebook, Instagram, so, you know, social, and it's like, oh, that's the real person.
0: Yep. Yep. This is actually a good segue into our guest today, um, Bob McIntosh who is, we're actually a mastermind together and he's got a really interesting story in in terms of how he got into, into real estate and the flipping and holding houses. And he's how his business has kind of migrated into this space. And he's really helped real estate investors in terms of their digital footprint and making sure they've got the digital resources and assets to be successful in this.
1: Yeah. And Bob's not somebody who's just uh, good at, he's an educator, right? I mean, he speaks to people all over the country. So let's get him in here. I want to spend some time with him. Let's do it.
0: Well, Bob, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, thrilled to have you on. Now, this is our actual first time meeting. A lot of the folks we have on the show we've met in the past, but this is our first time introducing each other. And so I'm actually just really curious. I know you've built a pretty amazing business, but I'm really curious, how did it all start? Where did you get your start in real estate?
2: Yeah, so um, uh, the, the this is the short, the, the condensed version. My long version is about 30 minutes long, but we won't do that. <laughs> um, so the, the short version is I was fortunate enough to graduate college with some money left in my bank, courtesy of my parents, grandparents, I had about 10 grand. And, uh, you know, I sat there for two years with analysis paralysis, trying to figure out what the heck to do with it. Eventually, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad and decided, oh, hey, real estate, that sounds cool. We should do that. Um, found our first rental property, which I bought in 2008. Still own it today, has been one of, uh, it, it's great. Um, from day one, I was making about 200 bucks a month. I was like, okay, cool, this is pretty neat, right, right? I was like, but, you know, I, I had a, a job uh, which paid well, but required a lot of hours, a lot of travel, and I was like, the amount of time it's gonna take me to save up enough money to keep buying for this to be a viable business, like, so I can leave my job. I was like, that I'm, I'm not down with that time frame. I needed to do faster, so got into flipping, totally screwed up our first house, did everything wrong, uh, lost a bunch of money, plugged in some coaches, got better at it, have flipped a bunch more since then. I forgot how many at this point in time. Uh, and now we just buy rentals uh, and mostly all in the Buffalo, New York uh, market. And um, in, that, in that time process, I uh, moved out to Los Angeles. And so I got good at digital marketing because I could do that from 3000 miles away, which we can dive into later, but that's the short
0: version of my story. Wow, so you got your start in Buffalo, New York, and that was where you bought your first rental that you still own today?
2: Correct. Yep. Yep. Uh, in my little tiny hometown of Lockport, New York, which probably no one has ever heard of. But if you have, like, go look me up. Let's say, say hello. But um, yeah, it was, uh, it was actually right across from where I went to middle school um, and still, still own it today. Um, just a little duplex. I bought it for 110,000. Um, and I think at the time it was rented for, I believe at the time it was like 1,600 a month was the total rent that we were getting on 110,000 uh, and this is 2008. So I sought a job, I put down $10,000. That's cause that's what I had and mm-hmm. uh, got a loan from, you know, uh, the bank and did it like the normal way. Cause I didn't know anything. I didn't know any other way to do it at that point in time. Sure. And, uh, yeah, and then, yeah, I still own it to this day, you know, uh, it's not appreciated much I think it's worth like 150,000 today. So not much, but it's literally making money every single day. I think I still owe, I don't know, 80,000 on it, but it, now today it generates almost two grand a month. So.
0: Okay. Wow. Okay. Well, in, in buying in 2008, what was, I mean, surely that was a little bit of a, a shock to the system when that house was probably worth half of you paid for it <laughs> within a year. So or ironically,
2: no, actually, really? um, this is, this is a weird thing. of, uh, um, And one of the reasons why all of us, we, so we have not a, not a huge portfolio. We're, we're a little over 30 doors at this point in time, but you know, decent size. Yeah. And, um, all of it's in Buffalo. And uh, the weird thing, Buffalo is a weird market. Uh, So in the crash, the great recession, we never had a bubble up. So there was never a bubble down. Right. Really? Um, even during the worst years of the recession, we were still growing in our hometown. Now, albeit it was like a quarter of a percent growth and like that. But when other markets are going down, in some cases, double digits, yeah. to have even a quarter percent growth is amazing. Now, you're talking about a quarter percent growth on 110,000. So it's not a lot of money. Like dollars wise, it's not a lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it, you, we, we never never had that. Like our market just kind of like chugged along and did its thing. Because the reality is the at the time, the average home price in, in the Buffalo market, the whole Western New York market, was like $92,000 so there's not a lot of room to go up. like you, you can't really go down much from there right like right. the physical cost of an actual materials is more than that um so it just it, you know it, it kind of survived that even today while we've in, in the last few years even through like COVID and all that um it's gone up more than we've ever seen before but still not nearly as much as other places have I think today in western New York the average home price is like 110 or 109,000 so it's not gone up tremendously uh up you know in comparison yes but not crazy
0: and the the rents were so strong i mean to get to buy it for 110 and getting 1600 and now it's a duplex though but it, and imagine that's still the case if you can get a house in the low 100s they must cash flow like crazy up there it is and that's why we buy so new york gets a bad rap and don't get me wrong like the
2: the the only thing i hate about buying in buffalo is that it's the fact that it's in new york state if i could buy in a better state i would and yeah. have the same numbers but you can't and uh, but the cash flow outweighs The risk, Uh, yes, it takes me longer to get a tenant out. Right, it might take me four months to get somebody out if they don't pay. Um, so we're a little bit more choosy on who we put in because I know that. Um, but again, if we look at our portfolio across the board, and it's you know the numbers change every time we look at it, but I can lose roughly half of our, uh, our tenants and so basically break even on my payments, and, uh, insurance wow. and taxes, because the cash flow is there. like, we're looking at one right now, I think we have, under, I think we actually put it under contract. It's a, uh, it's a single family house or a single house, but it has been broken into three units, which is big in our area. And uh, I think total total purchase and rehab will be in for like 130. And it's rented for 2300 a month.
0: Come on. And that's just a single family <laughs> house. It's not a is it a duplex? Or... It, well, it's,
2: it's it's like a house. So my hometown which is lockport where i told you that first one yeah weird backstory right so it was uh, it's along the erie canal uh, i don't know how much if you know about the erie canal right but uh there was locks built because there was a 60 foot escarpment you had to go up and down so in back in the day when that was big um it took you two to three days to get through the locks so mm-hmm. what ended up happening is all these rich merchants built these massive single family houses and they would stay there for the two to three days as they were traveling back and forth well obviously now no one ships up and down the canal anymore so that's pointless so you have these like five six thousand square foot houses that were built back in the 1800s that have now been broken into two three four five six units depending on the the layout uh and so it's one house one structure but broken into multiple units so it's what's kind of something like that
0: how interesting what's funny so kevin and i have a franchisee in erie pennsylvania and we were there two weeks ago hanging out with her visiting with her and she we were she was actually telling us about the lock system which is that's pretty nuts but i've never heard that you get these wealthy merchants that would like peel out for two days and live in their nice big house while they yeah. waited on their ship. I mean, again, yeah, that was, you know,
2: 1800s back before there was, sure. you know, any sort of power or whatever. It was, you know, literally oxen dragging boats down a canal. So yeah, it was yeah, a yeah, very yeah. different time.
1: Yeah. So how much work are you having to do on homes that old? Like, are these massive renovations or? Um, they can be. Uh, and we,
2: t- we we personally tend to avoid those big ones because you can open these things up and God knows what you're going to find in, the, in some sure. of these places. Um, but here's the ironic thing, right? Um, I'll take an old 1800s house almost always over something built, like even in the 80s or 90s, um, because they were built to last like, like you go to some of these basements, for example, right? And it's just stone and timber. Um, but it's been there since eight, like we have one as 1872, I think it was built in or 1892, maybe like, and I had it inspected, right? And the guy's like, this thing's not going anywhere. Like this house, th- this,
1: this house is time eternal.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. If it's been standing for 130, 40 years, it's like, yeah, it's probably not going anywhere. Yeah. Probably
1: good for a while. So you're not doing flips at this point, but it sounds like you're still building your uh, rental portfolio. Yep, still building a rental portfolio. I'd like to be at
2: a hundred by the end of the year. So we we got a ways to, to get there. But we'll hundred doors, I should say. Uh, mm-hmm. But we'll, we'll we'll see. We'll get there. We're and we're also we're dealing in some self storage deals right now. Um, evaluating a couple, building, putting together a fund to take one of those down. Uh, I just. Uh, after covid um as much as uh, you know cash flow is great in new york it gave me a little bit of scare because i don't have a retirement account right i had this portfolio of rentals that's my retirement account and um You know uh uh, when i say that like i don't have like stocks and things of that nature but um the the point being you know it kind of gave me a little scared man like what what would happen if i lost that like i'm i'm putting all my eggs in that one basket so now i'm looking at some non-tenant tenant tenant things to say hey what can you do that don't require toilets and people that can not pay us for a long time
0: (laughs) yeah what did that look like for you especially being in new york during covid i mean when you you had these moratoriums did that really bite you guys or did you get bio right we we were
2: you know (sighs)
0: great, by the
2: grace of God, I guess you could say, uh, we only had four people not pay us. Um, uh-huh. uh, and one of them actually only skated by because our attorney made a mistake. Um, she was supposed, to, she was due to be evicted just before COVID started, but he wrote the wrong unit number on. So then by the time he could get back in court, courts closed and COVID was a thing. So she skated for a lot longer, but, um, but yeah, no, we, we did okay. Um, I know, I know lots of, especially mom and pop owners who got eviscerated by, by what it was, um, we, we, you know, we did good. And I think part of that comes down to choosing the right tenants, making sure. Uh, and a lot of that, by the way, comes back to what we do a lot of is digital marketing, like we have a great presence, so that people know, like, hey, we're not some slum lords out there, we're not, you know, we take care of our places, we make sure we have good tenants, um, but we expect you to pay.
0: Yeah. So do you have your own property management company there? Or did you just partner with an existing one?
2: Yeah, we partnered with an existing one. Actually, we found someone uh, who was uh, just getting started um, and negotiated a pretty good rate to bring him a, a decent chunk of doors when he was getting going. Uh, and they've been great. They take care of everything. Um, I actually couldn't tell you any of our tenants' names, um, yeah. anything about nice. any of them. I don't deal with any of it. It's, it's exactly how
0: I want it. <laughs> yeah. Heck yeah. And so you're still knocking down deals in the in the low 100s up there. That's crazy.
2: Yeah, uh, it's, it's getting harder. That's for sure. Um, yeah. But rents have also increased too, right? So, right. you know, you're good. Yeah, it it's it still the numbers still work. Um yeah, I think uh our last one that we closed when did we close that one? I guess mid mid last year was actually the last one. It's been a little bit of a dry spell. The the numbers have not worked out. I think people were still trying to adjust to what the market was doing. Sure. Um, but I think the last one it was uh it was six units in a single house, kind of the same same deal. Mm-hmm. Uh and it's fifty eight hundred a month, and we bought it for two thirty.
0: Wow. Holy cow. <laughs> That's insane, man. Yeah. Well, so what makes sense? So you moved and you're like, well, I'm gonna keep buying here. So tell us maybe yeah. real quick, how did you end up in LA?
2: Uh, well, that, that, Now ex-wife uh, was in the film biz. So we moved out there for that. And then I just kind of fell in love with it. And I stayed out there for a long time. Uh, actually ended up leaving LA just before COVID started. Um, and I was like, hey, I'm just gonna travel for a few months and you know, then I'll come back and figure out what's going on then. Uh, that was you know three years ago and I've not moved back and I'm just staying nomadic.
0: So where do you live now? Nowhere. Nowhere, <laughs> wherever you wherever you lay down your head tonight, that's where you ha-
2: happen to be in Daytona Beach area at the
0: moment. Really, how Very funny! Nice. Now, what is you're just living a nomadic life, you're just and now how often are you staying in like one location and moving on to the next?
2: I travel pretty frequently, but I speak at a lot of events, so a lot of it's event based. Um, this year is a little slower than it was last year, uh, more by choice, just because I was like, uh, you know, I think I did. I don't know, 22 events in the last half of last year. And I was like, that's a bit too much. I got to, got to slow down just for a second. But um, yeah, no, it, it just, it just depends. Um, you know, usually at least a week in most cases, but sometimes two or three, and then some cases a little bit longer.
1: How long do you think you'll keep that up? Like this nomadic life.
2: Until I get sick of it.
1: It doesn't sound like it. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> sound like gag. you've gotten old yet. Yeah. I mean, you know,
2: I mean, okay, well, a, I, you know, I'm not married anymore. I'm, I'm single. Um, you know, B I, uh, you know, I don't have any kids. Uh, I don't have any pets. Um, so, you know, I have complete freedom in, in that capacity. Um, so I happen to be right now, uh, my parents live uh, near Daytona beach. So I was visiting them. Um, you know, I do like spending time with them cause I get to see them, you know, I know I don't get, I'm not get not going to have forever with them. So whatever time I can get, I will take.
0: Yeah. That makes sense.
1: How well, interesting! Interesting season of life. I'm. You'll never forget this. Yeah,
2: hundred percent.
0: Well, so you end up in LA, and you're. in this was uh, what year was this that you end up in LA? 2010. 2010, and you're trying to run this business remotely. Well, I mean, in 2000, that was pre-Zoom and all the other great. So, what did yeah, that pre, look like? Trying to pre-FaceTime,
2: pre-Zoom, Skype was still a thing if you could get it to work, which was you know maybe they right. had just launched their first mobile app, um, which. Uh, worked about 60 percent of the time (laughs) right Um, so i had boots on the ground my dad was there uh and my mom was there so um they you know they helped a lot by being able to actually physically see things go uh kind of handle that what i got very good at was just driving the leads in um kind of handling that portion and then raising some of the money um doing a lot of speaking obviously too you can attract a lot of money that way so that that certainly helps um but we you know we did we just all the things that are now normal basis like Uh, using Google Drive, for example, to upload photos and share content like that. That was new back then. Like people were like, wait, how do you you're sharing information? Like, how does that work? Like, it was a very different time then. Uh, So, yeah, so I just said, "Okay, well, if I can't be there, what can I do that's not there? And then let them take care of the things that required, you know, boots in the ground presence to take to tackle and make
0: happen. Sure. And so you I guess that's kind of where you wet your feet just uh, doing lead generation. I mean, what did that sort of that online business look like for you remotely? What, yeah, so a lot of it
2: was, uh, we, we've done, so to date, we've bought about 35 to maybe 40% of our deals from our online presence. Um, so it's a significant portion. Um, and the biggest chunk of that, let's say 40%, is uh, has been SEO. Um, and I to, to this day, uh, I believe SEO is your best long-term play. Short-term, no, it's terrible, right? Because it takes sure. a while for it to get up and going. Sure. But if we look at, Our most profitable deals um, and our lowest cost of acquisition, both of those fall under SEO uh, leads that we got um, from our website in that capacity. Uh, and so, yeah, I just, you know, we do that. And ironically, I don't even do it anymore. We don't even focus on SEO at this point in time because what ended up happening is we became so well known in the market that people just bring us deals now. Um, mm-hmm. And so I don't even have to pay to do anything, which I know is not, most people are not gonna fall in that bucket. I get that, right? But um, when you've been doing this for 15 years, you know, you have a reputation. We have a 100% close ratio on every deal that we've ever put under contract. We have closed every single one of them because um, mm-hmm. we're picky about what we buy, but, we, but when we say we're going to, we will. Um, and so, that reputation and uh our then our general web presence just carries over and lets people go oh like these guys are legit like if if you need a deal sold and they say yes you you know they're gonna close
0: well, so that sounds like then you were running uh, not just doing buy and hold. Were you flipping and wholesaling and stuff there for a while?
2: Yeah, yeah, we did. We did everything. Yeah, back then we actually we had very few buy and holds. Like that first one I had um, was our first one. Shortly after that, my dad and I bought a. Uh, it was more his deal, but he bought a six unit um, uh, building, and then we didn't buy any rentals for. Years, which I'm kicking myself now. I wish, I wish (laughs) we had kept even even a couple of things. Um, But it was what it was. We just we started flipping, Uh, and we weren't huge by any means. But you know, I think we were doing 17 to 20 a year for several years. So nice, decent enough.
0: Yeah. And so getting into flipping, I'm just curious. I know you'd mentioned that maybe the first go wasn't wasn't necessarily spectacular. What did that look like for you? (laughs) Yeah, the first one we did everything
2: you could do wrong. I mean, first so first of all, I read a bunch of books. Had no idea what I was doing really. I trusted a real estate agent who uh, was watching his entire livelihood be eviscerated. Cause this isn't the great recession. You know, I mean, back then you could, I mean, actually I actually was joking with on another podcast with somebody else. I was like, do you remember REO tapes where like, you would buy like a hundred yes. properties that, like that doesn't exist anymore. People like they would be mind blown at the idea of saying, I'm going to buy a hundred properties yeah. you know, at a single time. But, um, so he was watching his business. So I think he just honestly just sold me a bag of BS and just told me what I wanted to hear so that it would, it would work. Um, uh, I got a 203k loan, um, which is like, you know, the government backed loan to do yeah. construction because I didn't know about private money or lenders or uh, hard money or like I didn't know any of that. Yep. Um, so, I, you know, and I had a job so I could qualify for a loan. So we did it that way. And I just lied and said, yeah, I'm going to live in this house. I had no intention of doing that. <laughs> it's past um,
0: the statute of limitations, right?
2: You're good at this point. I was gonna
1: say, <laughs> Now we know why you're living the nomadic life. Right? Yeah, is, yeah right. right. Um, um,
2: You know, uh, and ironically, I might have, I might have actually lived in it. By the time we got it done, it was a nice, it was a nice house. But um, you know, and then we had, we had the worst contractor. Now here's the, here's the funny part when you do a two or three K loan, you have to have an approved contractor from their pool. Right. So I assumed mistakenly that if it was an approved contractor in their pool, they must be good. Right. Cause it, how it's a bank wouldn't approve someone that was no good. That is not true. Um, they don't, they, this guy, his name is Tony. Um, Tony did everything wrong. Like just to give you like some quick, funny stories, Tony put, brass handles on the back of all of our new doors and brushed nickel uh sorry oh, brass knobs on one side and brush nickel handles on the other side and then tried to tell me he bought them at home depot that way <laughs> oh my gosh
0: hilarious um, there was
2: an old uh fireplace in the kitchen because it was an 1800s house so there was like, a, like that's where they cooked so he was supposed to take that down up to the roof and then shore up the roofing so that the rest outside of the house wouldn't fall over because it was literally it was a row house and it was attached to the house next door and they put siding around it. So I didn't want to have to like take that down and then be responsible somehow for that. Well, he didn't shore it up. So all of a sudden the chimney starts doing this like five degree, 10 degree, 15 degree. And I'm like, Oh my God. Um, so it almost, almost fell over. There was a bus (laughs) pipe in the front of the house um, that already bust once. And I told him obviously we need to get fixed. So he fixed it. Uh, I'm using air quotes here for those of you listening. And um, then it busts again. And so I ripped the drywall off going, what the heck? Like, what did he not do? And I found that instead of insulating the pipe with actual insulation, and I kid you not, I can't even make this up. I found a pink pool fun noodle from Walmart with the tags oh, yeah. on it. Yeah. And I know they look very similar to actual pipe insulation, but it's yeah. not the same thing.
1: Our value not is the package, yeah. right? <laughs> not Just quite the same.
2: yeah Yeah, so yeah so we did did everything wrong uh, you know and then um the last mistake big mistake that we made was we had a buyer come through um the appraiser um, mismeasured the house by 500 square feet, which dropped the value way, way low. And then they uh, were like, "Well, we don't, we can't come up with a difference, so we're going to bow." And the bank wouldn't give them a loan because it was FHA, so the, it was low to the two appraisals. That's what sticks. Um, and of course, banks at that point were like so crazy. I called the appraiser and said, "Yo, you mismeasured the house. If you had included that square footage, you'd be right on point with what the asking price is and what the contract was." He goes, "Yeah, I did." I said, "Please fix it." He goes, "Nah, because." <laughs> if I tell the bank that I did it wrong, they won't hire me for appraisals anymore. And this is my business. So I'm just not going to fix it. And I, and I was like, I can't fight it. Cause it's not mine. It's the, the bank hired them. I told the bank this, they said, well, the number's a number. I can't change it. Um, and so I got screwed. And because it was FHA that loans, st- took the uh, stuck with the house for 6 months yep. um and it was a low price point house so all the all the people buying at that point in time which is not very many um were all fha buyers um because it was you know market was crashing at that point in time i'm watching my valuation literally decline by the day um and so if i had given the initial buyer the price of the appraisal, the messed up appraisal, I would have still made about 10 grand, but I hung on and my my holding costs and time killed me. And then the final sale price was basically what they would have bought it for anyways. And so I lost all that and ended up losing a bunch of money in the meantime,
1: so. And so after that first flip, what do you do? I'm gonna go do another one, right? I'm
2: gonna go do another one. Cause the only way to make up a bunch of money is to do more flips.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's, so that's insane. insane. Well, I think a lot of people don't realize that, that FHA appraisals stick with the house. I mean, because a lot of times, you know, if it's a conventional, you get a bad appraisal, you're just like, well, screw that lender. Let's go to another lender and get a new appraisal. With FHA, that sucker sticks. It goes into their database and it hangs on for six months. So any lender. And and you can't
2: can't dispute it. You can't change it. It's just, that's what it is. Now, if they, if the appraiser changes it, then it can, but you have no control over that process aside of reaching out to the appraiser. And if they don't want to, (laughs) tough luck.
0: That's insane that he admitted it. He's like, nah, I'm just not going to do it.
2: I wish I'd recorded the call. So I could have taken it to the bank, but yeah,
0: yeah, it is what it is. Le- learning lesson. We learned a lot. We grew from there. Oh yeah. You do enough houses. You, you run into just about everything and you learn a lot of lessons of the process. Very true. So for, so for, it sounds like the, you know, from 2010 what 10 to 2000, what you're flipping and wholesaling. And, and then until you sort of transitioned and said, well, let's just start, let's focus on this internet thing. And, and how did that take place?
2: Yeah. Uh, so the Buffalo market, again, being a, a kind of a weird market, right? So there's, it's, it's fairly small not tiny, but you know, if we look at the greater Western New York market, it's like 1.2, 1.3 million people or so um, might be less now because New York's been losing population, but who knows? Um, and so it's a very blue collar market. And what that means is, and what we started to find in our in our business was that we're losing all the easy houses, the paint, the carpet, you know, the, the simple 20 to $30,000 fixes. We're losing those to contractor Joe, who has no problem spending two years fixing it himself and selling it and doing the work at no cost from a labor standpoint right. to him. Um, and so we had to keep moving up market in terms of more and bigger budgets and deeper rehabs but there's only so much you can discount the price of a house when it's already very, very low before no one's gonna take it anyways, right? Like there's houses, I'm like, hey man, like I need you to pay me to buy the house. That's yeah. like, you know what I mean? So you yeah. you just can't, you can't do that. And so we basically just said, hey, this doesn't make sense anymore. Like let's, you know, and, and also there's something to be said for like, you know, there's uh, the same amount of work goes into fixing a $150,000 house for 20,000 as there is into maybe about like a three to $400,000 house for 30 to $50,000. Right. Um, so why keep doing this for less and less and less money? I think when we got down to it, we started looking at our numbers. It was like, hey, like last year we flipped 17 uh, it took nine months on average per house and we made 12 per house. Why are we doing this? Like that just, yeah. the, like as a business decision, it was like, that does not make sense. Um, so we stopped. Now my parents have moved. Um, we're down in Florida. So we might, you know, relook at picking it back up here. Maybe not right now. I just don't love the market in the current conditions, to be honest, um, from sure. that standpoint, especially not knowing it at the depth that we know other markets. But uh, So we'll just keep buying rentals. Keep going with that. That's our, that's our game plan.
1: It sounds like at some point you had built these digital resources working from the West Coast and you went from those helping support your business to maybe that being its own business itself
2: uh yeah absolutely yep so um you know once we stopped flipping i was like okay well that's my active income what do i do like don't get me wrong the rentals are great but i'm not making enough to support the kind of life that i want to live so that's not going to work yet so we got to keep doing something else and um so yeah so this is where this came in we uh my business partner uh Gigi and i started this about uh, about three and a half maybe four years ago in, in that range there was a period of time where i was kind of under a, under a, some bs with a cease and desist so i kind of had to lay low for a bit but um so i did that and then uh, yeah, we we kicked it off, and what I realized um, after years of teaching people how to do internet marketing for their own business and watching probably less than, I would say less than 15% actually do what I taught them to do. Um, I was like, why don't I just do it for people? There's clearly a need here. They, they come, they say that they want this. They, they pay money to come learn. They get all hyped up and they're like, yeah, let's do it. But then they never actually do it. So, um, we kind of built a done for you service and said, Hey, like, let me help you with the things that I know you're not going to do anyways. Uh, cause I know how to do them the right way. I know how to do it faster, easier, better. Um, and just take, off your plate for you so we started doing that and uh you know at this point we've got several hundred people that we help uh, on a month to month basis take care of their web presence and just squeeze more out of the leads that they have and build a better um credibility um standpoint
0: online mm-hmm. so what sort of i'm just curious what sort of things were you training on in terms of internet marketing was it seo was it ppc was a social was it a little bit of everything
2: a little bit of everything um so I and today, even still, right now, I here's the core of what you should be doing. Like if you're a new investor, going, what the heck should I even be doing? Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing is your website. Um, That's an absolute must, and for most investors, it's an afterthought of, oh yeah, I'll go get that set up whenever, or I'll go to Wix or GoDaddy and get some BS site that looks like crap, right? Don't, don't do that. Why? Because your website is the first impression you will make with most anybody that you talk to. Think about any business that you don't know. What is the first thing you do? You Google them, you go to their Facebook page, their Yelp page, their Google reviews, like you're gonna check them out because you wanna know who you're dealing with. And when we talk about real estate especially, nobody is gonna work with you, whether it's selling, buying, lending, contracting because this is a you were talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars if not millions of dollars no one's going to trust you unless they check you out first and so don't skimp on your website it's a place for you to focus and say look i'm a legit business owner i might be small but I'm so legit. Come look at me and find me here. And the second piece is your, your socials. You got to be everywhere on all of them. You don't have to be active necessarily in all of them. I mean, ideally, yes, you should be, but as long as you have them. So if I look you up, I can find you, your space is claimed. Think about it like, like the yeah. Oregon land rush, right? Like plant my flag on the ground. Even if I never do anything here, I say, here I am, you can find me, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, do those things at the very least. Any other marketing that you do now is going to, operate better simply because you've improved your perceived credibility right okay um and then from there all right it's just depends on what you want to do right like I always tell everyone, look, a lot of digital marketing. So PPC is great, but it's expensive. Like, let's be real, it's it's sure. not inex- right. like you got to have a significant budget to allocate to that. For most new investors, that's probably not going to be the case. SEO is phenomenal and long term cheap, but it's long term. It's not going to get you deals today. So you can't eat what you can't have right now. And so I say, look, you know, focus on any market. It could be text marketing, cold calling's big right now. Um, you know, skipping direct mail's still huge for a lot of people. I have a friend. He runs a multi million dollar business in real estate just on in direct mail, literally nothing else. Mm-hmm. Um, so, use these other marketing methodologies, and then leverage your web presence to support the other things that you're doing. And then, as you do deals, build some of that that profit into creating SEO, creating potentially PPC if you can afford it. Um, those things because. Everything I always look at like your social and your website are your foundation of your business, right? You'll do a bunch of other things. And then as you build, right, all the other things that you can do in digital become a bigger piece of the foundation. But you have to have this to start with or the rest is irrelevant.
0: Sure. Yeah. And so it seems like you've maybe in your business consulting has maybe migrated away from like the lead gen actually, you know, doing doing the. The, the PPC and the SEO for people and more like, okay, you guys kind of already know what to do in terms of marketing and generating leads. Once you capture those leads, here's what you do next. Is that, is that accurate? Sort of what your services look like?
2: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So, we're going to help you with a great website. We're going to help you with a CRM that's going to help your communication go through the roof so that you know I'm always communicating the right way with the right things with trusted campaigns that are dripping out over time. Uh, and then we do, we actually do a decent amount of SEO uh, in, in terms of that because we're already, if we're already doing your site anyways, I know we can help you in that front. On the PPC side, yes, we do that somewhat, but it's definitely not our focus um, from a real estate perspective. We do a lot more on e commerce with PPC, which is a whole different um, play. But um, yeah, when it comes to the real estate, like if you can focus on a great website, great social, and getting content out there and being seen the right way, um, your long-term viability of generating leads and inbound marketing, so people coming to find you, becomes very, very profitable long-term. And the other thing too to understand is that all of this stacks over time. And this is something that I think a lot of people discount when they think about um, their website, it's like, hey, if I do great on social and I do great on a website and I do great with SEO on year one, I may not see a lot of traction from that. I may not, I may even be ROI negative at that point in time. But if I do that again year two and then year three and year four, year five, year six, right? It exponentially grows so that by year five, you're not five X what you were doing year one. You might be eight, nine, 10 X what you were doing year one, uh, as long as you continue to do those things. And that's the compounding effect of digital. And that's why I love it so much.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. We we. uh we tell our franchisees the same thing about just being consistent because your your business just gains momentum. It just does. And the more leads you have and the more you're, you're good at nurturing those leads, as much as it feels like you're off to a slow start, it's one of those things from year to year to year. It does. It absolutely compounds because you've built all these relationships and these databases and these nurture processes and it, and it absolutely takes off. So you're really confirming exactly what we've been preaching. Perfect. Glad, glad to hear that. <laughs> so uh, tell, tell our folks real quick, just point us in, in the right direction. So you've obviously got a, um, a consulting business that relates to these digital marketing assets and resources. Point us in the right direction. How, how can folks find you?
2: Yeah, so the best place to find me is I uh, had to go3dc.com slash Bob McIntosh. And that's G-O number three and D-C for Delta Charlie or Degrees Consulting, go3dc.com. And then Bob McIntosh, which is just my name. And it's there's no A in my last name, so just M C. I-N-T-O-S-H on that page. You can link to all my socials. You can download my contact card. It's got my phone number, my email, everything that you need. Uh, and I'm, if you're like, hey, I want to know more about that, please reach out and let's, let's talk. If I can help you, that's what I'm here
0: for. Awesome, Thank Bob. You. Super, super helpful. great reminder of how important it is to invest in your digital resources and your assets to make sure, especially over time, that it does pay off to stick with it, stay consistent, and, uh, and you'll bear fruit from that. So thanks so much for coming on, man. I appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for the time.
0: Man, that was good stuff, wasn't it? Who knew that Buffalo had such a good market for rentals? That's amazing. You know, I've been out because I've got a buddy, uh, Glenn Schwarm, who operates up, up in that area. And I've been up there before actually and driven the market. It is a blue collar market, but it's, uh, I had no idea that the, the prices were still even today that affordable, even compared to rents. What an interesting, I guess it's like he said, though, there's uh, this trade off these, you got, you're lured in by these good prices but you still gotta deal with the state of New York when it comes to evictions and,
1: and tenant landlord law. I was there about 20 years ago and when I in Buffalo and I went to the restaurant where Buffalo hot wings were invented and they were really good. Wow. That's what I didn't look at real estate, but I got the wings. Are you telling me that when I eat wings, they're not from actual Buffaloes, but they're from the city of Buffalo? Yeah, from Buffalo, New York, is is where they were invented. Actually, have nothing to do with uh, the bison of the Great West. Come on, every I just assumed I was eating real bison.
0: Let's go to Wyoming and get some buffalo wings. Get some buffalo wings. Where are the buffalo wings at? Hey, while we're I mean, I know this is completely off topic. Um, you know where there's a lot of buffalo?
1: In Wyoming. Montana? Well,
0: besides the obvious places
1: Colorado. besides the
0: obvious places i
1: uh i don't know Ted's you should
0: know this because you uh lived very close to this place here in the last couple of years
1: oh well there was a spot in woodstock where there was a bunch of buffaloes That well mean?
0: no there, there wasn't one of my neighbors did have some buffalo
1: I'm oh talking, i know I'm catalina island a, yeah catalina island man you know what's funny is I actually have a hat at Catalina Island. Yeah. I flew to Catalina for lunch one day, and it was, and I have a hat with a buffalo on it. With the buffalo all... on it. That's right. Yeah. No, right. it's just,
0: it's such an interesting story. I mean, this has nothing to do with real estate, but Anita and I did uh, Catalina Island a couple of years ago, did the tour. There's buffalo yeah. all over this, this island. This is off the southern yeah. uh, coast of California. And the story goes that, like, in the early 1900s, they shot a, like, it might have even been a silent film. I don't remember, but yeah. it's an old Like old the 30s movie. or 40s. Maybe thirty or right, forty, yeah. and uh, and they had buffalo in the story, and they couldn't bring them back. Like they got them out there, but didn't really have the resource to, to bring bring. So they left the buffalo there, who then inhabited the island for the last hundred years and have just like no them. natural
1: predator, right? And they've taken over. They've taken over. There's buffalo all over this island. And I got to tell you, if you ever have a chance to to fly to Catalina Island, the 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 airport there is a. Amaz- it's at the top of the mountain, right? It's like it's crazy. Now uh, you're but just showing off. You're showing off. No, it was just fun. It was an absolute boss. <laughs> and it was a good lunch, too, by the way. Was it Buffalo? The question was, was it Buffalo Wings? I did not get Buffalo Wings, nor any Rocky Mountain Oysters, which would Ooh. be a little I didn't have that idea. It's
0: probably more, yeah. To get a burger. I do have a, a video, uh, since we're just talking about whatever we want to right now, I do have a video from about five years ago where we took the kids to Wyoming and uh, yeah. served them Rocky Mountain Oysters, didn't tell them what they were, and got video of them just like, oh, these are good. good these are amazing is this chicken what is this (laughs) and then like a day or two later told them what it was and they're all just (laughs) even to this day i like to pull out the video and just show it to them they're still mad at me for
1: feeding them you need to pull it and guess what you gotta guess gotta guess what buffalo wings really are
0: (laughs) yeah exactly
1: (laughs) wait until i tell you what buffalo wings really are
0: (laughs) what yeah they don't trust me at all now they're like oh crap dad what have you been feeding me all these years
1: it's amazing. Kids just remember everything. And that, that's the sort of thing will be ingrained in their mind for the rest of their lives.
0: Yep. Yep. I'm sure at my funeral one day, they're going to be talking about. And then that one time he made us eat these bull balls. and it was <laughs>
1: <laughs> You were probably from a Buffalo. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, anyways, what a what a great conversation with Bob. I love hearing people's story because he got started kind of around the, about the same time I did you know, and experience the ups and the downs and all the different and and has migrated now into um, this digital space, which is just really applicable to to so many investors that are getting started need to have a good web presence, need to know how to do Legion need to know how to be on the socials. And so it's a good reminder of how important those things are.
1: Well, I just like this tenacity. I mean, here's a guy in his first flip absolutely just got through the ringer. And and instead of running away, he was like, No, I'm gonna do another one do another one. Yep. Continues to reinvent himself and figure things out and has uh, experienced success. I love the tenacity. And still building a rental portfolio.
0: Yeah, yeah right now, you know, a lot of people do that. I mean, where they shift from this, this I, I need to produce my income to I need to you know figure out how to build wealth and have long-term assets. And that's sort of the phase of life that he's transitioned into, which so many investors are are there as well, You know, after yes, they've right. matured in their careers.
1: Well, I say we do this again. This was good. You think? All I right. do. Yeah, I mean- I'll- I'll- Get us some burgers, get some wings, and do it again in a week. I don't get to talk about
0: bull testicles every day, so I'm I'm in. If we can talk about something inappropriate next week, let's let's do it. When is the chicken coop gonna be done? <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm not, <laughs> we'll see. It's it's just it's gonna start having additions. It's gonna start having probably power run to it, maybe indoor plumbing. We'll see. It's. I think uh, you
1: need, you need to put a, a cam on it, so you know twenty four seven cam, so we can all watch the progress. That's
0: actually a really good idea. Yeah, that not gives an excuse that. to run power out to it now too. Exactly. Chicken yeah, these lady hens, you know, daily you've got a cam triple x chicken <laughs> triple x
1: chicken. <laughs> oh, we're up to 15 eggs today. Check this Ooh. out, ladies. <laughs> uh
0: all right man, we'll catch up with you next week if we decide to do it. I'm leaning towards uh, yes. I think we should. All right man. Peace. Friends, thanks so much for making it all the way to the end of today's podcast. If you or possibly a friend has any interest in learning more about real estate investing or opportunities with Red Barn Homebuyers, take a minute and head on over to redbarnhomes.com and check out our investors page or our franchise page, or just drop us a note. We'd love to hear from you. Can't wait to see you on the next episode of The Deal Farm.